The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Hey everyone, welcome to a special episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. A couple of years ago, we had a guest on that was, and still is, one of our favorite people uh, at Major Spoilers. We're talking about Mark Wade, the Chief Creative Officer of Boom Studios. You may know his work from Irredeemable and Incorruptible, as well as his most recent work, or continuing work, on the Amazing Spider-Man series. Please welcome to the show, Mark Wade. Mark, how are you doing Good morning, today? sir. Good, doing well. Hey, you know, the last time we talked, just uh, real quickly, you had mentioned that you had your eye on a Tesla. Did you ever get one of those? Yeah. No, no, I still have my eye on a Tesla every once in a while as they, <laughs> as they whip past my little Honda Prelude on the freeway. But someday, someday. Well, you know, a lot has changed in the, uh, since the last time you, you talked with us. One of the biggest being a move from editor-in-chief at Boom Studios to the chief creative officer. It seems like yeah. a, a lot of people have been getting this move, this bump up to chief creative officer. And I think there's a lot of listeners that may not understand what the chief creative officer does at a particular company. What are your duties now at Boom? Well, actually, I, I think one of the reasons that no one quite understands what a chief creative officer does is because I think it's a, it's a, it's a fairly fluid position in terms ah. of, because I'm, I'm fairly convinced that, you know, that, that no two of us have exactly the same duties. But overall, it seems to be, it's more of a, it's more of an acknowledgement of, or, or it's, it's more of a of a position that is less administrative and more uh, creative. It's it's in my case specifically, it's it's more of an acknowledgement that Matt Gagnon, who has been essentially the managing editor for you know a year or so now, and has been really the guy keeping the trains on time and mm-hmm. running the schedules and, and doing all the heavy lifting administrative work. And really, that's that's more of an editor. He's doing a lot more of the editor in chief stuff that. That, than I have been doing as as I have been sort of having to concentrate more and more on irredeemable and incorruptible and launching the stand books and right. and so forth. So 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 much of my time has gone towards creative and so little of it in the last six months in particular has gone toward editorial that it really only made sense to acknowledge Matt for the job that he's been doing and and really, you know, give him a, a title that is commensurate with his actual duties. Ah, okay. And in you know, my case, it's it's more, you know, the, the chief creative officer part applies more towards, you know, sort of sitting down and trying to figure out where creatively we should be in the next six months or year. And, you know, particularly in, in you know, the big focus has been on, launch, on launching the stand books. Well, yeah, speaking of, of the stand books, I mean, you've got, what, four of them coming up, four new titles yeah, coming up. Three, actually, three. Oh, yeah, three, actually, three. Oh, three, okay. Yeah. Um, is this, I mean, you, right now you're working on Amazing Spider-Man, Origin of the Species with Stan Lee, but you're also yeah. launching these, these three titles from Boom Studios. Is this the first time that you've worked with, with, uh, Stan Lee or have you worked with him before? No, I never, I never worked with him before and it, it, it's been a real delight. It's, I, you know, I, I was skeptical when when Ross Ritchie pitched the idea, when the publisher Ross Ritchie pitched the idea that we should be in business with Stan doing stuff, not because I don't love Stan, right, but just because I was, you know, I was concerned that it would be a situation by which we're, you know, we're basically trying to buy Stan's name for mm-hmm. goodwill, and then he just kind of, you know, you know, we send him checks, and that's all he does, <laughs> right, and and much to my stunned surprise. And pleasure, and, and really pleasant surprise, because that's you know one of the reasons you want to get in this business is you want to work with the guys who, who have influenced you and, and learn from them. He's very active in this stuff. Um, it's he wants to see scripts, he wants to see layouts, he wants to see breakdowns, he wants to see plot outlines, he wants to see lettering, and as well he should. And he wants the kibitz on all this stuff, and and. You know, when it comes to the plots, when it comes to the, the the basic concepts, I mean, you know, Stan and Ross and I sat in a room and knocked ideas back and forth, and 
uh, from from ground zero and uh, and building up from there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it's you know it's very much a, a collaborative participatory thing. And so when it says Stan Lee's Soldier Zero or Stan Lee's Traveler or Stan Lee's Starborn, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's accurate. And one of the things I really like about Stan is that. You know, Stan was very forward. Not it's not that he wanted to be bossy. It's that he really, honestly, felt the same way we did. Which is, well, if my name's going to be on this, I think it's false representation, if you know, or misrepresentation to the readers if I if I'm not actually in it. Right. You know, if I'm not actually rolling on my sleeves and getting in there. Right. And and my God, he's got great ideas. Even at you know, <laughs> even after all the years at his in his station, even after. Uh, you know, such a long time in comics, he's still, you're getting the good stand. You're getting the, you know, you're getting the, you know, you're getting the really uh, sharp um, visionary guy who, who asked the question early on that sort of defined the three books, which is what does it mean to be a superhero in the 21st century? Right. You know, and how, and how is that different than being a superhero in 1962 or 1963 when Stan, pretty much single-handedly, you know, gave us what the modern superhero is. What You know, he didn't want to make it a retro feel. He didn't want to make them retro comics, and neither did we. Mm-hmm. He really wanted to do what we wanted to do, which is let's, let's take your basic skill set. Let's take your the heart that you're known for, Stan. Let's take the, the energy that you're known for, and let's, and let's translate that into 21st century, uh, 21st century storytelling. And what we've got, I'm really proud of. So you've got the Traveler that you are working on with uh, Chad Harden. Right. Do, do you have to send every script to, uh, to Stan Lee and say, Stan, can you look at this and give me notes and tell yeah. me where I'm wrong yeah. and all of that stuff? Yeah, and you know what? It's, it's delightful. You know, it's, it's, he's got good, good, survey, good uh, observations, good suggestions, and it's, you know, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's, it, there's never been a problem where Stan's come down and said, well, you know, fix this. I don't like it, and, and I have to argue with him. It's... It's you know generally we're on the same page and uh, and those few times that he's come and had notes it's always been to make it better and is that the same kind of collaboration process you have going on with uh, Amazing Spider Man right now? Um, no, actually with Spider Man actually he's only the reason you're seeing our names together on Spider Man is because he's doing a separate two page oh, backup okay. with Marcos Martin uh, okay. and so yeah. All right. Well, I just I was curious about that because I know that there's a new one out this week that has both your right. names on it's, it, and I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I thought maybe there was yeah. some kind of a uh, uh, you started working with him over at Marvel and then you pulled him over to Boom or vice versa kind of thing. Yeah, no, no. We we started with him at at Boom, and then the fact that he and I are both contributing work to the next few issues of Spider Man is just a coincidence. Okay. Well. Uh, we had uh, Chip Mosier, who's the public relations person for uh, Boom Studios, one of the public relations people, and he has just gone on and on and on about how much he's learned from Stan Lee as far as a marketing standpoint. Have you been yeah. able to learn a lot from Stan as far as the, the creative, the writing standpoint, or have, yeah. are you guys yeah. just bouncing off the same ideas? Well, it's, it's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I, I, I would I mean, it'd be disingenuous of me to say that I've been able to fill a notebook with, with <laughs> you know, in, in our meetings with things I've learned about writing with Stan, but that's only because I've been learning from Stan since I was six years old. I mean, right. that's, that's part of it. You know, it's, 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 we, you know, there's, there's just no way to overstate his influence on what modern superheroes are. Mm-hmm. And so when I sit with Stan, it's not so much that he says things that make me go, Hey, I never thought of that before in terms of writing or, Oh, that's a clever trick that I've never thought about before. Mm-hmm. It's more that sort of contact high you get off of him <laughs> with his bouncy enthusiasm. Right. And, right. and the reminder that he's, you know, I'm constantly coming at, I, the one thing that, that, that is going to, that sticks with me every time I sit down at the keyboard now is that I keep coming up with plots that I think are pretty clever and I, and I work hard to make the plots very clever mm-hmm. and Stan is very quick, uh, has been very quick to just cut through this stuff and go too complicated, too complicated. It's about heart. It's about the character. It's about, it's about the character and about the, and about what they want. Mm-hmm. And he's right. He's, you know, it's not that I've done it wrong. It's just that sometimes I, I, I have not given it that the focus that it needs to, to get. And he's, he's dead right on that. Now, he's a busy guy, but has he uh, taken the time to look at any of your other stuff? Has he looked at Irredeemable or Incorruptible or any of those other 
works that you're doing? Yeah, he's. I know he's looked at. I know he's looked at uh, irredeemable. Uh-huh. Um, I because I was kind of holding my breath when he <laughs> flipped, when he when he you know, was reading over some of the stuff and hoping that he would kind of skip over the part where you know the, the baby gets hit with heat vision and stuff. Right, right. Um, but no, he's been very complimentary, and I know he's you know he's read some of my other stuff over the years, and uh, and I you know he said that, and I'm like. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's nice of you to say that. I know it's really not true. And then he would quote chapter and verse on stuff, and wow, and to to show that he'd actually read it. And I was like, well, that's that's a big thrill. That's a career high. And then do you? I, I mean, I'm sure you do. But I mean, do you then take some of these? You know, there's a difference between saying, oh yeah, yeah, I read your work, kid. It's great stuff, and then actually proving that you've done it. Do you take those lessons then and apply it to other writers that you're collaborating with or working with, and? Uh, or people that approach you on the street and say, oh, Mark Wade, you're one of my, my greatest heroes of all time. I've got this little book going on. I don't know what streets you walk up, but <laughs> where people would say, Mark Wade, you're my, great, you're my hero, you're my, the greatest of all time, but I, but I love the little fantasy world you live in. Well, I live in it's, Wadeville, so if that's any indication. <laughs> I know. Population, too. It's the... Well, I do in the sense that Remember, part of my job is also to be sort of the, the editorial liaison between uh, Stan and the other two writers on the books, Paul Cornell and Chris Robinson, right. who are, you know, I mean, they, they also you know, have had contact with Stan directly, but it's just easier because he's such a busy guy and they're busy and Paul's overseas and Britain and, and it's just easier to, to coordinate stuff through me. So a lot of times it's, it's really... I'll get the scripts, I'll send them on the stand, but I'll make notes too. And, and they're always that same sort of, you know, let's, let's remember what Stan keeps telling us. It's, it's about the character first. Right. Well, let's, um, you know, it's, it's about character and it's, and in this case, it's about superheroes. Um, but you got into a little bit of controversy not too long ago, a couple of months ago. <laughs> yeah. Kel Supri. <laughs> yeah. But that never happens to me. Yeah. <laughs> You posted on your Twitter, and I can under—I I guess I can understand where this frustration comes from. You said, and today is the day I stopped reading superhero comics. One that I won't name finally broke me. Collections stop as of now, no joke. It's not one bad comic, it's the unbearably last in a long string of bad comics. Just sick of reading the same story a hundred times in the last three years. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I was sober the entire time. I, I just want to go on record saying I was utterly sober when I said that. Have, have you really it's, stopped reading really superhero, stopped comic reading superhero comic books? Yeah, I mean, I've just I've, at least for a while. I mean, I don't. I may not be forever, but for the time being, I really have just, uh, you know, I'll all right. I'll sneak a Grant Morrison in every once in a while because <laughs> I'm only human, um, right. and I like everybody else. I need to know what happens in Batman and Robin, but but by and large, um, it's not a slight on the guys who are doing the books, that's on a slide on the creative, it's on a slide on anything like that. It's, it's, uh, how do I say this without digging a, a deeper hole? It's just that, uh, it's acknowledgement that not every comic is for every reader, which is mm-hmm. as it should be. I mean, there's, there, the, you know, the, the flip side of this, by the way, the flip side of that statement would be, you know, the guys who are cranky that, all comics should be exactly what they think they, they should right. be. And, right. you know, why can't, as Graham Morrison is fond of saying, why can't comics be like they were when mommy was still alive? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's crap too. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's unfair because that's very selfish. It's not, you know, growing up, not every comic was for me. And it's not like I went to the spinner rack when I was a six year old and, and looked at, you know, uh, you know, Western comics and romance comics on the spinner racks and I didn't sit there. I didn't, I just, they were there. I didn't sit there and go, well, those comics suck. Cause I don't like them. Right. Well, right. no, they don't suck. Cause I don't like them. There's just a million comics out there and there's, you know, I enjoy what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I, what? I think what, what has gotten to me is that there, I feel a, an encroaching sense of cynicism. And this could be very personal and this could be very, anecdotal and this could be you know this could be very skewed but i'm just saying i personally i feel like a, it's not you know it's not that i want comics to be like the world mommy was alive it's not like i need a return at silver age because sure. i have sure. all the silver age comics in the other room and i can just go look at them anytime i want so it's it's not that i want things to return to any certain thing it's a, or a certain feel it's it's that there is a 
there's a grimness and a, a relentless hopelessness that I feel, I personally feel, permeates a lot of superhero comics these days more and more. And uh, a continual, you know, uh, sense of, of how do we make it more graphic? How do we make it more violent? How do we make it more hopeless? How do we make it? Mm. That's the big thing. It's not, it's not, it's not the sex. It's not the graphic violence. That's, that's, you know, that's just the way society marches. It's the, it's the tonally. You can have all those things and yet still have the glimmer of hope. You can still have a glimmer that it's not, that not everything in that, in, in your world is cynical. Um, I think I would like to believe, and I'm sure that there will be a million Twitters who will correct me on this, but I would like to believe that even irredeemable as dark and grim and ugly as it can be still at the core of it has a bit of hope. So has a, 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 a you know, is not, I don't think it's a cynical book. I think right. it's a, I think it's a dark book, but I'm sorry. It's an, you're going to agree with me. And I just stepped on you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, you know, I, I, it is a good book. It is a dark book and it is kind of, I don't know. We've got a, an interesting thread going on over at the forums right now where one of the readers, and I don't know if it's prompted because of your Twitter comment or what, but he's like, look, I really need to get out of superhero books. It's just not fun for me anymore. And he's really just talking about, he wants to get out of comics overall. And so there's some people saying, well, you know, maybe you should stop reading superhero comic books. Maybe you should look at other genres. Maybe you just need to step, step back for a while and, and look at other things. And uh, Matthew, Matthew Peterson, one of our co-hosts here and writers on the, on the site, and I have exchanged uh, discussions back and forth. Some people will claim that I'm being genre racist when I say, you know what, stop reading crappy superhero comics and go read some other titles. And I uh, throw out things from Dynamite or Boom Studios or, you know, IDW. As an example yeah. of, you know, step away from that stuff, enjoy the medium, and then when you're ready, come back to superheroes. And there was a time, probably three or four months, where I was really trying not to read or review superhero books, but instead looking to see what else was out there. And now I'm slowly yeah. starting to come back to to the superhero genre and starting to appreciate it again. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's the case. I, I think that, I mean, that, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I didn't say, and, and, you know, I didn't say all superhero comics suck. Right. I didn't say I hate all superhero comics. I just said I just I've read too many of them right now. I've read the last one, and, and when I say my collection stops, it's not that I mean that I've just gone and, and taken a flamethrower to what I've got. It's that I've been, you know, I'm I've reached a point where I'm stopping buying things that don't appeal to me just because I have been buying them for forty years or thirty years mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it's okay; they'll still be there six or eight months from now, if I, if I just suddenly hit the side, oh my God, my life is miserable without a complete run of X, you know, or whatever. Um, you know, I can, I, that's what eBay and, and my local right. store are for. I can go find them. Right. It, it's okay not to, it really, you know what, it really would be right. I would, I, I, every Wednesday I go to the store. Mm -hmm. As my local store will tell you, I'll get 1101. I'm standing right there at the front door. And if they're not open, I <laughs> make a pouty face. And I go in, and I buy my comics, and I then go grab lunch somewhere and sit there and read comics for a little while. That's my that's my Wednesday. So yes, if you want to, you know, come steal from my house, that's the best time. <laughs> um, Wednesdays between eleven and twelve thirty. I'm not home. If you want to back up the U-Haul truck, that's the time. Anyway, um, more and more, I find myself at lunch, you know, buying these comics, buying comics out of habit, going and reading them, and then and then just getting angry. Like just it's not a delightful experience. Instead, it's more like a, well, which you know, which of these will piss me off the least? I'll read that one first. Yeah, and that's just yeah. no. That's just you know, I, I, and like I said, I freely admit that is as much me as it is the material. It's a, it's just a bad mix at this moment. But and that will change. But for the time being, I've just said you know, I just I'm, I would like there to be less cynicism in what I see, less darkness in what I read, less less hopelessness in what I read. Well, you, you said to the effect that you're tired of seeing the same story again and again and again. Isn't that kind of the nature of maybe a lot of comic book creators? And I, I, we were having a discussion the other night where I said, you know, when we were kids, we would go out and we would play a game of cops and robbers, or we would go on a grand adventure and defeat dragons and save the princess and everything. And we would have an excellent time in that afternoon doing that. And then the next day we would say, well, what do we want to do today? 
hey, let's do what we did yesterday. And we would try to repeat the the cops and robbers or the, yeah. the dragon adventure or whatever. And pretty soon after a little while, it was like, yeah, this isn't as fun as it as that one time that we did it. Is that kind of the same thing that happens in comic books where, you know, you've read something 20 years ago and that inspired you to, you know, that became a great story. And now everyone's like, I remember that great story. Let me tell it with my own flair. And if you go to the well too many times, you kind of water down the fun of that of that story. Yeah, there's something to that. There's also, you know, but but, you know, conversely, and I've said this before, too, uh, just because you've read Spider-Man fighting Dr. Octopus. 14 times in your life doesn't mean that the next guy has read it even once. And so why are you cheating that guy of the chance of seeing Spider-Man versus Dr. Octopus? It's the nature of superhero comics in particular is they can, they are somewhat repetitive and somewhat cyclical. And I'm, I'm okay with that in a, in a general sense. I, philosophically, I understand that (laughs) what I meant was I had read the same exact story. I'm not talking about, Oh, look, Spider-Man fights Hobgoblin again. No, no, no. I mean, like, this was a Mad Libs version of of a generic comic where it was like, fill in this guy, fill in that character, mm-hmm. fill in this tragedy. Oh, my God. This, it really, it was, it read, this was, I had read this, literally the same story, like, over and over again, twice in the same bundle of books. And it oh, was man. just, I just, and they were, you know, from in different comics, but it was the same mm-hmm. exact story, and I just hit the roof because it was so it was just so relentlessly cynical and so relentlessly sort of hey look this is my movie treatment and oh just ah, (laughs) time to time to take a break yeah i i I can appreciate that and i can understand that you are more of a public figure than many many other people are especially in the comic industry with your experience and vast wealth of knowledge Saying something like this, I believe this, loud mouth is the word you were looking for. <laughs> well, something like this has to have sparked a lot of, of anger and hatred towards you, not just from the fan community, but from the creator community and, and maybe even the publisher community as well, or, or not? Not the publisher so much, but certainly, you know, there were, there were a couple of creators who took it personally. I got emails all the next day going from people I know going, was it me? Was it my book? Was it this one? And no, 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 it wasn't. And the reason I was being circumspect was not to be coy. It was just because honestly, I didn't feel like making a making it into a personal attack on on a particular writer or a particular artist, a particular company. It wasn't that. And mm-hmm. and you know, in retrospect, I regret saying anything only because it you know it it was misinterpreted because like most of us. You know, I'm still learning how to turn 140 characters into a manifesto. And, you know, I'm still learning the hard lesson on the steep curve that perhaps 140 characters at a time on Twitter is not the best way to get across your big philosophical points. Right. Uh, so in that sense, I may have erred. But, uh, you know, it's the, uh, there were career, I mean, there, you know, there were one or two guys who really personally who really did take it very personally, always attacking us. Mm. No, really not attacking you, but that's, you know, again, this is the price you pay for trying to cram it in 140 characters. Right. Well, I think, you know, Lewis Carroll, I, I believe it was Lewis Carroll in, in, um, Alice in Wonderland, well, Humpty Dumpty is, is essentially saying words mean what I want them to mean no more and no less. And unfortunately, when you take out the, um, the nonverbal communication cues, when you take out the inflection, when you take out the hint of sargasm, when you take out the anger rage boiling over uh you see mark way jumping up and down at the at the lunchroom table or whatever i i think people do kind of take a lot of words out of context and that's that's kind of troublesome especially like you said when you when you knock it down to 140 characters yeah i think that's what happens i think that i you know that's not surprising and and it's just it's a learning curve that we're all getting on so right don't know don't know if if any of us are ever going to get any better on it but you know, I'll just, I have been a little more careful in the, since then about making sweeping proclamations via Twitter, perhaps <laughs> not the best medium for it. Instead, uh, uh, I say my sweeping proclamations for entire ballrooms full of people. That's, that's what I was going to transition to. I mean, talk about the being misunderstood, even though you claim it was a vodka fueled rant. Uh, you're, yeah, you're, although again, that was, uh, you know, it, it, people there know it would, that was a, you know, that was me just joking because, right. and honestly, because it, it really to cover for my nervousness more than anything else. I, 
you know, I have certainly, people have experienced my vodka fuel rants before. And, you know, anybody who's actually experienced one of my vodka fuel rants knows this is this was no vodka fuel rant. Right. I, I find it, I just, I know that uh, in the grand scheme of things, you probably don't consider yourself, you know, in the pantheon of the greats. Uh, so while I talk to you, I get nervous, but I just can't imagine you, Mark Wade, being nervous in front of a bunch of your other, uh, you know, creators, the uh, other uh, collaborators, other people in the industry. Well, you're very kind, and 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 on a, on a you know if it's if it's me and Dean Haspiel, or if it's me and you know Paul Azzetta, or if it's me and Steve Wacker, or if it's me and Brian Bendis, no, 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 it's not the same. But but in that room, you've got you know Jerry Robinson and Walt Simonson and Danny O'Neill, mm-hmm. literally literally a few feet away from you, looking back at you as you speak, and suddenly you're up there trying to deliver quote unquote wisdom, you know, to guys who were doing this back when you were in diapers. And that I, you know, that sort of got under my skin. The more mm-hmm. I started talking, and, the, and that made me uncharacter- uncharacteristically nervous. And and the entire speech, which we'll get to in a second, which I'm very, sure. with the context, the content of which I'm brought up, um, right. the delivery was the delivery was weak because once once I let that bother me, once I sort of looked back and realized that Wheezy Simonson is is staring at me, you know, and and and. I've been reading Wheezy stuff since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, who am I to start? Who am I to, 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 to speak to her? You know, who, who am I to give a speech to her? Right. Um, right. It really kind of threw me off my game and it, and it became that sense of, you know, when you, you know, when you start to tell a joke and, and you realize you've, you've kind of, you've made the wrong choice early on uh, you know, and you maybe left something out, but you keep talking in hopes that you can steer yourself back to where you need to be. Yeah. And you're not there, and you keep talking, hoping it'll steer back, and instead you keep veering all over the highway, and you keep talking. Maybe you'll recover, and you never really do. That's that's kind of what that's kind of what that twenty minutes was. Been there, but, done uh, that, and I understand the flop sweat. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, but that said, I you know I still stand behind what I said, and I'm I'm I was disappointed that there was mis that there was misunderstanding about what I said, but mm-hmm. um, but. You know, some of that was, you know, some of that was people just mis, deliberately misinterpreting what I said, um, you know, because they were just very narrow-minded about what what I was saying. And then some of that was just, uh, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Well, you know, I, I, you know, another, you know, I have another Diet Coke fueled rant I can go on this morning. <laughs> but but anyway, I, I keep I keep doing all the talking and never letting you speak. So well, you know, let's talk about this speech because uh, you know. Unfortunately, I'm not there. I did hear a recording. wasn't a super great recording. I, I don't know if that's over at Comic Mix or Comic Vine. One of those two has the actual recording of your speech. The actual um, text of your speech can be found over at Comic Book Resources. And I think everybody, before we get into this next section, they might want to put it on pause and actually go read your entire comments. As I read that and as I listen to your your speech a couple of times, I see where you're coming from only because I'm yeah. a big fan of digital and I understand right. the power of and, – and this is the word that I think threw everybody. The minute that you said file sharing, I think that's where everybody flipped out. Yep. And it doesn't matter what yep. you say around that. It could be you know a million dollars. We're going to make it rich. We're going to do this, um, you know, saving the world, file sharing. All those other words just disappear. Yeah, it's really it's in that room. It's like throwing the N words into the conversation. It just that becomes <laughs> right. a magnet for everything. Right. Yeah. And at that point, it doesn't matter what else you say. But, you know, honestly, that was the point. I didn't, God, I could have stood up there and, and talked about kittens and puppies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as coincidence would have it, it was Jack Kirby's birthday that day. I could have stood up there and talked about the wonder of Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. And I could have talked about a million inoffensive things or a million, you know, non-provocative things and safe stuff. But, you know, it's any, any, any chimpanzee with, three by five cars can do that. Let's right. If you got, you know, if you've got it, if you got the stage, you know, say something of value, say something that means something to you. And I, and honestly, I, I, and my friends were, my friends were begging me to be innocuous, not because they were afraid I'd say something stupid, but just because, uh, I had had a very, very, very hellish previous couple of weeks in terms of workload, in terms of, mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. uh, all kind of personal stuff going on. And so it was just, I didn't have time. I didn't have time. I wish, you know, I wish I hadn't taken the assignment. I wish I hadn't taken the job to do the keynote. Oh my God, what am I going to do? 
And everybody was like, no, 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 just get up there and talk about something you love, and it's good. And I realized this is something I'm very passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I started crafting ideas for this. I thought, you know, frankly, this is something I could talk about off the cuff if I wanted to because I'm very, I'm very, very passionate about the transition into digital and, and some of the opportunities that we have in front of us. One of the things after I read your comments, and I Twittered you uh, last week or so, I said, have you ever read Lawrence Lessig? Because a lot of your elements from your, your, your keynote are, are his ideas, are, you know, yeah. especially from the, from the book Remix and, and the Free Culture book. A lot of those ideas I see filtering through your, through your speech. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Lessig's, of Cory Doctorow's, of all the, you know, copy fighters out there. Uh, and have been for quite some time and have been, you know, listening and digesting and, and, you know, having a conversation with Corey Dockerow at John Rogers house a few years ago was very enlightening. It was a very brief conversation, but still, you know, again, these, you know, this, there's this concept that, that, that we're, you know, that, that these people are just immoral pirates and, right. uh, you know, and they're just out there pillaging and, and taking for free because they don't want to pay. And it's not that at all. It's about, Hey, what was I, what was I heard yesterday? The, the reportage yesterday was that uh, the famed director Jean-Luc Godard, mm-hmm. uh, who I don't think has to defend his credentials uh, for anybody, has donated a, a whopping sum of money towards uh, a, a complete stranger who was being sued for file sharing, uh, for allegedly, you know, uploading and downloading songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not he's he's, he's uh, it's true or not, what, what Jean-Luc Godard said was he doesn't believe in the concept of intellectual property. Now, I, I wouldn't go that far. Right. But I love the fact that, that someone with those credentials you know, can take that radical stance, that his, his attitude, and he said these exact words, or I translate, but he says these exact words, you know, these, these were translated, that you know, he, his feeling is, you know, I don't understand why... Uh, why intellectual property is it's it's inherited. I don't understand why you know I don't understand why the the sons and grandchildren of 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 a creator continue to profit off that work. I don't understand why 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 should Ravel's children still get money for Bolero? Mm-hmm. And and I kind of you know I kind of lean I I. I'd meet him halfway, you know, I kind of, I, I see where he's coming from and I agree that, and as I said in my speech, and let's just for a second, for those of you who haven't actually paused and, and gone to kind of book resources, let's just hit the high points of the speech, okay. which are that um, I talked at great length about, I want to talk about file sharing, but first I want to talk about copyright and, and right. what people don't really understand about copyright, what, what, is, what is generally, copyright is, is held over our heads as a, as a, like it's some sort of, umbrella to protect the creative people from being stolen from, which is kind of true, but really kind of crap, because mm-hmm. uh, first off, copyright really mostly benefits mega corporations who hold licenses. It very rarely benefits uh, the, the creators, you know, the, the small guys. It, it very rarely benefits... Uh, directly creative right. people, it, it it does, but it but it but it, that it that it does is only ancillary to the fact that it benefits the mega corporations, mm-hmm. uh, who will continue to hold these things in perpetuity. Copyright was envisioned originally not as something by which you were guaranteed through this, uh, you know, revenue for the rest of your life and your children's life and your children's life. It was actually envisioned as exactly the opposite. It was envisioned as, as a, a set of rules to put in place to make sure that once you created something after a certain amount of time, it did go back in the public domain because that was the, the value of the public domain cannot be understated uh, on two levels. One is that we all draw from it as creators. Mm-hmm. You know, we all draw from what is around us, the, the words and the music and 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 you know the 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 images and and we're all influenced by that. And to say we're not is just that's crap. You know, you're not. No one right. creates in a vacuum. Right. So the, the you know the the overall feeling is if you're draw if you're pulling from that pool, then it only makes sense that at some point, you know, you are also obligated to put back in, so that it's not so the pool doesn't just go dry. So that it doesn't come some day where every every idea and every image and every thought and every every 
musical note in the world is copyright to the point where nobody else can use and play around and be influenced by it anymore. Sure. Um, so that's what well, copyright was originally envisioned to be. Right. But, and and so, without getting into a lot of the history, it seems like there was a point where uh, a certain House of Mouse was about to lose its copyright on its on its biggest character, and they pushed the government to change that to more favor the to more favor the the company as opposed to the individual. I, I you know I can't speak for Walt Disney or anybody like that, but I wonder if he would have wanted Mickey Mouse to go into the public domain. Uh, yeah, we'll I, never I, know. That's just that we'll yeah we'll we we have no idea. I just don't you know without singling out one specific company. I, sure. It's certainly, you know, it's certainly the case that for all intents and purposes now, in in, in probably for the rest of our lifetimes, uh, copyright is perpetual. Mm-hmm. You know, legally it is now 95 years. It used to be 75 years, and before that it was it was two terms of 26 years, and before that mm-hmm. it was. In other words, it always gets extended. Right now it's 95 years, and I and I would I would bet you everything I owned or ever will own or ever have owned that when we get to the 95 year mark on certain stuff, it'll be catapulted even further into the future because right. no one's going to want to lose the profits and revenue surrounding that. So. Well, well, but I mean, come on, Mark Wade, you're going to be dead in 95 years. Yeah. Right? Uh, well, yeah. You know. Uh, well, all... I, that's your, by the way, that's your pullout <laughs> quote for the whole interview. <laughs> Let's just say that um, you've made a lot of money off of Irredeemable. And you Let's had say. quoted a while ago that you said all of your new creator, all of your new creative ideas or creative properties are going to be at Boom Studio so that you can probably keep the rights to those. At some point right. in the future, are you just going to say in your will, hey, 25 years after I'm dead, irredeemable, in, ir, uh, incorruptible, all of my works are now accessible to anybody? Are you going to be, are you going to be that way? I, I, I would do that sooner than I would do that sooner than 25 years if I could. I, you know, whatever the whatever the law allows. I mean, I actually it's. It's not that. Look, I I also admit, and I I know we're rambling here, but sure. I, but I in in full disclosure, I have no children. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to have kids, um, and that my perspective might skew because of that. I freely admit that if I had kids and grandkids, my perspective might be a little different in terms of wanting to leave behind some sort of revenue stream that that that. You know, but on the other hand, I just I don't see it. I, I, I do you know I want, if I want to leave stuff behind for my kids and my grandkids, you know here's a house and here's you know here's a car and here's savings and here's mm-hmm. here's money I've earned and here's you know here's artwork and here's you know things ideas to you know get your own ideas, kids. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? Make up your make up your own damn ideas. Well, uh, Bill Gates, in an odd sort of way, has kind of forced that upon his children. He's not leaving his entire mega wealth to them when he dies. He's like, look, I'm going to give you a little bit. And granted, a little bit is something that I could live on for the rest of my life. But he's basically yeah. saying, go out there and do something with yourselves beyond just living off of my my success. Yeah. And more important, and more than that, I would go one step further. Rather than, I would, I, if I were saying it, I would phrase it not as don't live off my success. I would say, don't live off... You know, don't don't live off these creative things that that I have pulled from the even. You know, like again, mm-hmm. I too have have pulled from the you know the public domain, and I have I too have pulled from the world around me. I too have been influenced by art and music and paintings and and cinema and and all that feeds into what I do. So at some point, I am morally obligated to give back. It doesn't mean tomorrow. It doesn't mean next week. I'm not saying that. And I think this is where some people misinterpreted what I was saying. I'm not saying that tomorrow you get to, you should turn around and you're morally obligated to sign your copyrights back to, you know, back to the public domain tomorrow. I didn't mean that. What I mean is mm-hmm. that at some point, on a philosophical level, you know, we all have an obligation to give as we take. It right. only makes every child in the world knows that you, this is something you know when you're three years old. You share things. You share the benefit of yourself and to those around you and it makes the world a better place well we wouldn't have the library i'm sorry we wouldn't have the library system right. right. we wouldn't now, have the library system now. Yeah. yeah yeah now that takes us into file sharing now right because we are entering more so than ever before we are entering uh, we the, the greatest societal change in the last few years has been sharing has been mm-hmm. the culture of sharing 
growing further and further with Twitter, with Facebook, with you know, with YouTube that we that we share, that we send videos around of cats doing stupid things, and we send jokes and images, and and you know, we it's no different than it was when you and I were making mixtapes for our girlfriends back in mm-hmm. the nineties or whatever. It's it's no different than that, uh, but it's but it's it's become more of the way that the next generation is, is viewing the world. And that's, that's great. Now the downside to that is that the line blurs between sharing what is yours to share and what is not yours to share, um, by the letter of law. Right. And my argument is that we have watched the recording industry and we have watched the, the movie industry spend billions and billions and billions of dollars to change basic human behavior and fail. And we've watched them for 10 years, try to, try to, you know, try to, try to stamp this stuff out. Right. And right. instead, you know, I, I, there is not a single RIAA lawyer in the world who would tell you that 10 years ago, if they had known what they know now, that you can charge 99 cents a song through iTunes and everybody's happy that they wouldn't, that there's not a single RA lawyer in the world who would tell you that, it was worth the billions of dollars they spent to get to this point. Just do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Let mm-hmm. find a way to get there. The, well, when it, uh, when it comes to when it comes to, here's some interesting here's some interesting points. Uh, you know, years yeah. ago, and I don't know if this is still the case now, but Adobe, the creators of Adobe Photoshop, one of the most used right. uh, graphic applications in the world, they said that their piracy rate to sell rate was one to one. That for every yeah. legal copy they sold they would have one illegal copy being passed around. That company hasn't gone out of business. For the most no. part, the record industry has had to change their model, but we found that more people, in surveys, more people are willing to pay legally for an inexpensive 99-cent song than to spend yeah. time going out looking for that illegal download that may be at a crappy uh, encode bit rate or whatever. To be honest right. with you, Mark, if I go out right now and try to find well I can't do it right now but tomorrow if I go out and try to find amazing spider-man number 643 right and try to find a, a CBR or a CBZ or whatever PDF that that people are sharing on it unless I know exactly where to go for the average comic book person it's going to take a lot longer to go out and find that issue and you're going to yeah. waste a lot of time than it would to just go down to the comic shop at 11 o'clock with your smiling face and say one issue please and yeah. move on I think that's one consideration. I think the other consideration that is overlooked, and I and the reason it's overlooked is because nobody wants to say this because it sounds like um, it sounds like double rainbow happiness puppy <laughs> unicorn talk. But right. I but there are I won't say everybody. There's always going to be the there's always going to be people out there who want it for free if no matter sure. what. Sure. Especially in this economy, and that's part of the you know part of the danger of talking about all this in this economy is that of course people are are very nervous right now on all economic levels because the, you know, this is the worst financial situation I've seen in my lifetime. The first, the first of the worst economic situation I've seen in my lifetime. And, but, 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 but there will always be a huge number of people who want to support you. That's a, most, mm-hmm. I would, I would say that most comics fans, not necessarily most casual readers, but most comics fans, Understand that people have got to be paid to do this stuff. Understand right. that 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 they are that that it's not that they're it's not that they're willing to pay for comics because they don't want to be scofflaws. It's that they are willing to pay for comics because they realize they have some value. And again, that you know, the, I know it's all anecdotal, but the you know the number of people I talk to who uh, are constantly amazed at uh, people wanting to compensate them for their work, wanting to pay them for work at conventions, even though they're not charging, people understand that there is a, you know, there's a value attached to this stuff, but, you know, they want to, they want to put a little money in the till. They want to, you know, they want to, they want to compensate you. Now, you know, part of the, part of the, and this is, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about during the speech either. And, you know, part of the problem too, is that now that we're at a $4 buy-in on comics, it mm-hmm. makes it much harder for people to feel like, oh, I'm going to spend a buck or two on these comics, and it's okay. I mean, the you know, clearly the, 
you know, the more expensive the stuff gets, the, the greater the temptation to just throw up your hands and go, I can't afford to do this anymore. Right. Um, God, the other thing, you know, but like, and again, not to go off topic, but we're, we're really close. While we're talking about it, the other thing that we want to, that amazes me that I didn't talk about during the speech, but really sort of uh, amazes me that we overlook is that let's for a moment, let's put aside the notion that file sharing is illegal. And let's put aside the fact that, you know, let's put aside the notion that every download is represents a lost sale for you, which I think is crap. But let's just for a moment, let's just assume that's true. And let's just assume that file sharing is the evil that you, that you really, the unassailable evil to society that you expect it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, even that said, think about what this means. What this means is that around the world, people are clamoring for what you're giving them. There is a right. market and an appetite for your work and they are, they are, they are after it every way they can get it. And, and regardless of whether or not, yeah. And of course the, the immediate response is, well, let them pay for it. And I understand that, but before you, right. before anybody gets to that, before we get to that moment, I understand that. But before you even sink to that, or before you even step up to that 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 that's that phrase, not that you would, but you're saying, I'm saying. <laughs> just absorb the fact that as an artist, as somebody who is trying to communicate something, as somebody who is trying to create some vision for the world, as somebody who is trying to do something that is heard, that people all over the world are falling all over themselves to get it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's yeah. great. That's right. You know, I guarantee. This was at the Harvey Awards at, at, the, at the Baltimore Comic-Con that I gave this speech. I guarantee that down the street at the, at the poetry convention, at the Poetry Writers Convention 2010, whoever was at the lectern given the, you know, given the keynote there wasn't talking about file sharing because nobody is file sharing poetry. Right, right. It's just absurd. Like, like, that's what I'm saying. There's a market for this stuff. There's an appetite. What this proves, what file sharing proves, is that there continues to be an appetite for the material that we create. Mm-hmm. How do we monetize that? How do we take advantage? I don't want to say monetize because then it, it's not about the money of it. It's well, about, but how do you take advantage of it? Is that, yeah, is exactly. that how do you how do we turn that to our advantage? How do we how do we work the system? How do we how do we how do we participate in the system? in a way that we get to define rather than have it defined for us. It's very easy to just lay back and be victims and go, right. oh, well, you know, we're going to be file shared. We're just going to have to, you know, sit back and take it. But well, there's, there's you know, no way I, to approach it. Yeah. I don't know who came up with this idea, but let's, again, Boom Studios. Let's take a look at Northwind. Right. You release that issue on MySpace Comics, the complete issue, same day that it was released in stores, and everyone said, oh, this is the death of 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 what you're doing to us you guys are screwing us over yet as chip Mosher would say you had what a 30 40 percent increase in sales yeah. on the fourth issue that was solicited so in yeah. a sense giving away something for free in this case actually mm-hmm. had a positive repercussion now yeah. when we look at the when we look at the digital environment and, and what most of the companies are doing who are on the comiXology app and who are on their own apps and boom studios has their own app marvel has their own app and so on and so forth let's give away a seven page preview I don't know if that seven-page preview is is having an effect yet. I don't know if anyone's willing to share those numbers. But I would think doing something like that or even put sharing the information on a website like Major Spoilers is enough to get people excited. And I, and I continually get messages from people saying, hey, if it wasn't for your site, if it wasn't for your conversations on your podcast, if it wasn't for the sneak peeks, I would have stayed out of comics years ago. But now I'm back into it and I'm out buying things. Right. And, and the so there's – no, and remember the other thing. You know, the other thing that 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 it's the other purpose that it serves, the other need that it serves. It is very easy for us in Los Angeles and New York and Texas and you know Chicago to get all up in arms about somebody downloading a comic. Um, mm-hmm. But if that somebody is in East Jesus nowhere, you know that that somebody <laughs> is in Decatur, Alabama, right? And you know what? There's not a, there's not a comic store within a hundred miles of that guy. It's not that I'm not saying that it makes it right automatically that just because he can't find that comic, it means that, you know, because he can't get it easily, it doesn't mean he, he has to go 
download it. But what I am saying is that um, there are there are people who I know have downloaded some of my stuff because and they didn't even know it existed. It's not that they didn't. It's not that they saw. It's not that they couldn't get it. It's not that they felt like oh my comic stop is you know is two hundred miles away and I'm not willing willing to make that drive. It's that because they live in areas of the country that are so underserviced by comic book retailers. Mm-hmm. They don't even know these things exist. Right. So how, you know, that's, that's not a loss. That doesn't represent a lost sale for me. If they download it, it represents an opportunity for, for me to show them, Hey, look, I'm doing something that you might be interested in. Now let's talk about how to, how to make it work so that you're right. getting something and I'm getting something. Right. And that was, I think probably the best part of your speech right there at the end where you were like, Essentially saying, hey, I, I don't care if you agree with me or don't agree with me, but I'm going to go out there and walk the walk and talk the talk, and I'm going to be doing things to try to use file sharing to my advantage. Yep. And, yep. I mean, I'm not asking you to give away Boom Studios, you know, next big uh, right. marketing campaign or, or give away the, the, you know, the, the keys to the hen house. Yeah. But have you come up, have you been formulating some things, some ideas that you oh, think yeah. might work I, or not work? work or yeah. Not work? For weeks and weeks and, 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 and plugging away and trying to figure out what the best way to do it or approach this. And in doing so, I also want to add, in doing so, talking to retailers at, at great length because that's part of, the, you know, part of the equation that we don't want to overlook either. It wasn't appropriate to talk about during the keynote speech because it was to, it was to creators and not to retailers. But sure. you know, one, of the important parts of the, one of the important parts of this whole strategy, too, is and we don't want to put comic stores out of business. Nobody wants to put comic stores out of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not a matter of, hey, let's go completely digital and, and forget print. It's, it's how do we make all this stuff work together so that we have digital and print and everything sustainable and that we still have smart stores out there being able to, to turn a profit and sustain. And so all that's in process. And like I said, I, you know, I, 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 have, I have some ideas that, we're going to put into, that I'm going to put into, into play in the next few weeks uh, that you'll be hearing more about. As I said at the Harvey's, it wasn't that I'm saying that to plug what I'm doing. I'm just saying it that I, I, I want to prove that I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. Let, and let me pitch you an idea. Made, I'm sorry? Let me pitch you an idea. Please, by all means. You've heard of this, uh, heard this, of this uh, uh, music player called Zune, right? Are you familiar yep. with that device? One of the oh, things yeah. that, that uh, Zune and Microsoft really, I think they were a little bit ahead of their times, and I know this is weird, me, me and Apple, almost devotee, almost saying this about Microsoft, yeah. but the Zune had this thing, Welcome to the Social. And depending yeah. on what kind of a player you got, you could share a song uh, with, some, with one of your friends, and they could play it three times, and at the end of that third play, it would just disappear. It would be deleted, and if that person wanted that song, they have to go out and buy it. Yeah. Right? We ran a poll for the last couple of weeks up on Major Spoilers asking people, how often do you read your comics? Do you read it once, multiple times? How often? And surprisingly, most people are reading their comics two or three times. Okay. What, what if Boom Studios said, hey, guess what? Here's a way to file share. You can give a copy of a comic book that you've purchased through the Boom Studios app to one of your fellow iPad application friends. Mm-hmm. They can read it one time. After that time, the issue gets deleted. If they want to read it again, they need to purchase it from the Boom Studios or Comixology app. That's not a bad idea. That's actually, that's all right. I'm writing that down as we speak. That's, that is not a bad approach. This is what I like about it. By the way, this, is, this was the whole point of giving this speech, by the way, is that I wanted this dialogue. I wanted people to, to throw ideas like this around. I mean, I wanted us to open up the dialogue and be able to talk about and, and really address the elephant in the room, and, and, which we were all ignoring. Right. And really talk about how do we turn this to, I, I say, keep saying turn, I, when I say things like turn it to our advantage, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, even that language feels skeevy to me because I'm not, that's <laughs> not what I'm trying to say, but honestly, if I'm, if I'm trying to convince fellow creators that this is something that we should be talking about, then that's the kind of right. language that you use. Um, but no, that's actually not a bad idea. I think, I think sharing, uh, you know, and being able to, to, to do the equivalent of what we did when we were kids, which is, hey, look at this issue of Superman. Hey, right. look at this issue of, of Sergeant Rock. You should, you should look at this. This is really cool. Look at this. Um, right. That's you know, it's one of the ways you get into comics. It's one of the ways you sustain the enthusiasm. Um, well, every, we've, we've got to address that. Everybody is so scared right now. I mean, I don't know. I look at, 
not comic books necessarily, but I look at the print industry as a whole from newspapers yeah. that started magazines that started 10 years ago. And I saw uh, niche publications completely fall apart when I was working with another company back in, in 96 through about 2001. And I kind of saw where print was changing. And I see a lot of those same, same things happening with comic books now. How do you, Mark Wade, calm the industry? How do you just tell them, hey, look, everything's going to be okay. You don't have to jump up and down screaming, adapt or die. But how do you calm everyone down and just say, let's take a deep breath? First off, the, again, the concept that I would be able to calm anybody down is just <laughs> amusing to beyond belief. You have such me, but, a soothing but, voice, though. <laughs> Here's the, the answer is pretty simple, I think. I mean, it's not, it doesn't mean that the process is simple, but the answer is simple. The answer is, be honest, as I have been. Look, mm-hmm. I we can we can either be we have to, we can either be afraid, or we can be not afraid. We could that those are two choices. It's pretty binary, you know. And and I understand that people are afraid of this big paradigm shift in print. I under totally understand. My entire you know my entire personal revenue stream in my entire life and my entire career has hinged on it. As as everybody else is in that room, as as most of the people who are, you know, a lot of the people who are listening to to what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. I get it. I'm terrified too, but you know what? It's, it's, I, fear is a luxury we don't have at this point. Instead, I'm tired of being afraid. I'm not going to be afraid in the 21st century. I'm not going to enter the third decade in my career being scared every day of what the future brings. Instead, I'm going to look. I'm gonna, I got, like I said, I'm going to put some ideas in the, into motion about how do, we, how do we change the paradigm so we're still doing essentially what we're doing, but we've shifted the medium a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if that works, that's great. And if it doesn't work, you know what? That's fine too. That means that the next guy will learn off my mistakes and, and take it the next step. And the next step, the, this change is coming no matter what. And you can either choose to be part of the change or you can choose to be terrified and not want to get out of bed in the morning. And I'm not going to make that choice for you. And if that's the way you want to be, I, I understand. I, I'm not saying that to be callous. I understand. And there are mornings when I, when I don't want to get out of bed either. Right. But, oh man, it's just, I'm tired of being scared and I'm tired of doom and gloom. And I just kind of hit the wall on that too, man. I mean, that kind of brings us cyclically back to what we were talking about earlier in terms Mm -hmm. of being tired of repetitiveness and being tired of cynicism and being tired of, of, of darkness. And just, I, I don't know how to soothe people. I don't know how to, I don't know how to calm the, the madding crowds, but I do know that, we can be part of it. We can see, we can be the generation that figures out how to turn this into something that works for us rather than works against us. Right. And Which, that is, that is a, a, an amazing opportunity. And I, I cannot, we're very, you know, we're very blessed in that sense to have that opportunity laying before us. Which of your two comments, the Twitter comment or the Harvey awards has generated the most, I don't want to say hate, but the most negative comments to you, do you think? Um, the Harvey thing more, more than anything else, because it's too many people misunderstood that as I'm telling you, you've got to go give everything away you do for free for the rest of your life, which is not right, even right. remotely what I said. Um, or that I hate copyright, not the case either. Um, you know, I just, I think that's, that was the most polarizing thing. There is a, you know, the, there is a sense that, especially from an older generation, there is a sense that we are living in an age of entitlement, as they put it, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. an age where these stupid kids think that they can, they, they can get everything for free and they deserve to get everything for free and they don't want to pay for nothing. And they're just, you know, and they're just, they're all thieves and the internet it's makes it days. happen. And we, yeah, and we got to stop that. And that's the part that always just makes me want to burst out laughing, but it's an impolite and just nod my head. And I'm like, how right. do you stop? So how is that going to work? Let me, let me see if I get this straight. The recording industry and the movie industry have spent billions and billions of dollars to try to stop it, and they haven't had one bit of luck. What are you going to do, Mr. Comic Book Artist? What are you going to do? <laughs> let me know how that. Let me know how that windmill falls. Let me let me let me know when you manage to tilt that windmill all the way over. And in the meantime, I'll be over here trying to deal with reality. I 
Well said. I think it's a, it's still in a very open area, but it sounds like you kind of have some ideas. And I honestly, I look forward to seeing what what you come up with. I mean, even if they fail, right. I'm not going to be one of those people that sit there and say, "Mark Wade, what an idiot! He was wrong all this time." I think people are yeah. interested to say we don't want to take the time or the effort to do it on our own, but we'll let you succeed or fail. And if you succeed, then we'll all you know we'll all jump on the same boat with you. So and I, that's I, fine I, too. I don't, you know, I don't care. I don't want to be. I don't need to be a revolutionary. I don't need to be a trendsetter. I don't need to be any of that stuff. I just, you know, at the at the, at the end of the day, I, you know, I just need to be able to make a living doing what I do. Sure. And well, it's well, you know, there. I, 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 you know, I, I, I commend you for 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 taking the initiative and, and at least trying something different on that on that note. Thank you. And it, like I said, you know, stuff I have may work and may not work. It's not a one-time deal either. It's not like I have a bunch of ideas that if they fail, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and or roll up the roll up the sidewalk rather and just and retire. It's not that mm-hmm. either. It's, a, it's an ongoing process, and and the ideas that I have are just the beginning, and they'll spark other ideas, and they'll spark other people's ideas, and other people have different ways of approaching it. And and our and and this is not to say that I'm the first to come in at edit either. There is other guys who are, who have been working far ahead of me on this curve. It's just. You know, I'm maybe the first guy to stand up there in a, in a room full of people with rotten tomatoes in their hands and say, hey, I'm going to try this. Speaking of rotten tomatoes, of rotten where tomatoes. are you going to be <laughs> appearing next? <laughs> I will be next at the New York City Comic Con uh, in October. I will be there with, uh, you know, with, with fresh fruit for sale, uh, you know, extra good for Erlen. I will uh, encourage will people to go because one of the things that I didn't realize until I was talking with Dr. Peter Coogan this week is that you're actually sitting on a panel called Batman 66 where you're going to talk about how awesome the Batman television series was. <laughs> Look, it is just it's the most awesome thing in the world. It's just it's come on. It's it 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 uh, if uh, they got this book out now called Gotham City 14 Miles. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, it's coming out soon and uh it's it's a book that's basically a, a very sort of clinical study of the Batman TV show. And right. man, I just, you know, if I need a desert Island book now, you know what, you know, Shakespeare, you're off the list. Now it's going to be this book because <laughs> that's all I need to read. Oh man, the Batman, that's, I can't believe we've shifted from the, the, you know, the sublime to the ridiculous like this, but that's okay. But that's, yeah, I could, you know, again, I could talk about the Batman TV show much longer than I could talk about copyright and, and file sharing. Well, then we want you back on the show real, real soon because I can, I can also binge your ear on Batman for quite a while. Uh, one of no our, problem. one of our contributors, Skrull Brian says, uh, Mark Wade is irredeemable, a limited series. I can't imagine it going on forever. How many cliffhangers no. can you think up for each issue? Yeah, <laughs> well, that's part of the fun of it is the, is this coming up with the cliffhangers, <laughs> and and honestly, it it goes. I mean, it's I, I have I have a I have an ending in mind, but in terms of the you know the overall story, but I don't have a specific issue in mind, and I don't. And as far as I'm concerned, it's still doing well, and and I'm finding more stuff to do with it. So you know, it's as far as I'm concerned, it's an ongoing series. So, final question today: What should we title this uh, this episode? Should it be called Mark Wade? You're going to be dead in 95 years. Mark Wade is misunderstood, and we can do it in black with the big white letters. Uh, <laughs> or should, or should we, uh, should we call it? Uh, here, here's Mark Wade again. <laughs> that's a, you know, that's an excellent question. Um, I, believe, I believe the title of this should be uh, Mark Wade Podcast Copyright Major Spoilers. <laughs> you know, we we you know. Talking about sharing, we want people to go out and share this show. We we encourage people to burn it onto CD and, and drop it off at their comic book store in a pile and say, take one, because yeah. we want more people to be part of this experience. And and I'm sure that – I don't know if you've given any other interviews since your Harvey Award. I know you did the comic book resources bit, but I'm hoping a lot of people will listen to this and maybe get a better understanding of, of where you're coming from on these ideas. I hope so. This is the first, this is by far the, the, the longest I've spoken about it uh, in podcast form since the Harvey Awards, and so – uh, and I think we've covered a lot of ground that we didn't cover in the speech yeah. or in the piece for comic book resources in terms of, of some of the, the branching thoughts. So I, you know, hopefully this is another, you know, another part of the lecture tour, another, another installment of the lecture series. <laughs> well, Mark, I don't want it to be another two years or a year and a half or whatever before you come back on the show. I would really, anytime you want to come on and talk about stuff, if you want to share ideas, uh, if you want to talk about things that are going on with you or Boom or just in the industry in general, you are welcome back at any time. I appreciate it, sir. All right, Mark, thank you so much for being a part of the show, and uh, I hope we talk with you again real soon. Anytime. Take care. 
If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Bad Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic bookstore guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven, it's like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010